welcome to the Kimberly and Coach Show. I'm Coach Culbertson, she's Kimberly Culbertson, and we're a speaking and podcasting duo on a mission to recharge, retool, and rehumanize leadership. Welcome to the second episode of our podcast. Today, we have an amazingly influential guest, Abby Robbins. <laughs> hey. <laughs> we're so excited to introduce you guys to Abby. They are an Enneagram coach and yoga therapist. And also one of the favorite humans that we know here in Austin, Texas. Yeah. So, Abby, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and who you lead? Yeah. Um, so, like Kim and Coach said, I'm Abby, and um, I am an Enneagram coach and a yoga therapist. And so I work mostly one-on-one -on -one with people, helping them discover their Enneagram type um, and how their patterns are affecting their lives, so their personality patterns. And uh, from there, we use the tools of yoga, so conscious movement, breath work, meditation, lifestyle changes, etc., cetera, um, in order to help affect change. So um, we use these conscious practices in order to help them find more freedom and to live the life that they actually want and not one that's kind of dictated by um, a set of patterns that they may or may not be conscious of so a lot of pattern interrupts if you will mm -hmm. yeah so for our listeners who may not know what the enneagram is could you give us just a quick yes. bullet point of what it is yes so um it's a personality typing system uh there are nine types and you you get typed one through nine. Uh, but what makes it different from other systems is that it's based more on your motivation and less on kind of your behaviors. So it actually, it goes a lot deeper and then it allows for a lot more movement. So kind of embedded in the system, um, you have the kind of, okay, here's where you are in your personality type and then offers you kind of not necessarily a way out, but a way to, um, so a, a more expansive existence. So it's not just like, here it is, check the box and you're done. Um, growth is kind of, um, inherent in the, the system of the Enneagram. I have been really excited for you to help us kick off this brand new podcast because this podcast, our hope and expectation for it is that it will center around what we're calling practices of value. So the idea of the podcast is that leaders want to have a good culture and they mm -hmm. often know what kind of culture they'd like, but the gap between what they'd like and what exists is wide <laughs> and they're not sure <laughs> sometimes, depending of course yeah. on the company and the leader, but a lot of leaders feel like, but what do I do mm -hmm. to actually create this culture? And often what we see is these grand gesture um, experiments in trying to create culture. So mm. every three years we'll do this giant retreat in this expensive place and we'll say, this is what our culture is. See? Mm -hmm. But then in the everyday, it's not in the fabric of, yeah. of the way that they are working together. And so our hope for this podcast is that people could listen to it and then walk into their communities or their mm -hmm. workplaces mm -hmm either as a team member or as a leader and have an actual practice that they could put into play and be intentional about 
And so I wanted you to come and join us so that we can hear about the way that you practice in your leadership, but also so that we could have a conversation about practice because mm-hmm. practice is kind of your specialty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, interesting enough, like practice for most people is, is so vague. They're like, right. what do you mean practice? Um, I mean, it's to the point that, that it, I have a forthcoming book coming out in a few, um, I guess it's about a yeah, year from do. now. <laughs> Yay. Um, and, uh, it, uh, an entire like three chapter section of the book focuses on practice, um, what it is, how we do it. Um, what, what, what things, what constitutes a practice. Right. Um, and so there are, there are like the whole, um, the whole kind of idea of practice. I think you hit on it really well is like, there's this sense of there's sometimes experiments. Um, we do a thing. That's actually even a part that I actually wrote into my book that like the things we kind of nice. do one off. <laughs> yeah. Like it was kind of funny. Um, we kind of do these things like one off, um, and they, we don't know how it's going to, um, land. Um, we hope it's good. Um, we think it's going to be good, but then it, there's really no like follow up, And so it's more like, like you said, an experiment. Um, but practices, they really require, um, three main things. And I was going to kind of break this down in the book is that you, you have to have intention, attention, and consistency. So these three things are what make anything that we do a practice, Mm. right? So when, I mean, and and literally anything can be a practice if we bring these three things to it. So um, I could have a practice, currently I have a practice of packing my lunch each day. Right. Right, so um, that practice requires me to have a certain amount of attention, like, Sure. Like I have to schedule time. I have to know when I'm going to eat. I have to know what I'm going to eat. I have to go to the grocery store. I have to make time to cook the food and then pack it and put it in the fridge. And then I have to have the attention to remember to get it out of the fridge right? before I oh get in the gosh. car. <laughs> um, and, and then there's this like, you know, if I do that once, great. I saved 20 bucks by not eating out. Um, but then it's like an experiment. Then it's like there's no real oomph. Two. Right. There's because you just did it once, and then if you just do it once and you don't do it again, what's the point? Right. One time thing. That's great, fun, shiny, but mm-hmm. there's no lasting effect. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Except the twenty bucks. Yeah, which you know, and we all know how long twenty bucks lasts. So it's, it's not nothing, but it's also not creating culture. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so then consistency comes into play, right? Right. Um, and consistency, I, I feel it more as a rhythm. So it's really necessary that some practices are meant to be done daily. Some practices are meant to be done hourly. Some practices are meant to be done monthly, right? So it's finding the right rhythm for your practice and kind of what's appropriate. So it, when I started practicing yoga, I was practicing like hot, sweaty power vinyasa, right? Like right. real intense stuff. And... Most That's actually people. how I got to know Abby. Yeah. Is I was invited to her class, not knowing it was hot, intense power yoga. Yes. And I thought I might die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. You did not. And here we are five years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the um, essentially like the kind of what most people do 
when they're practicing hot, sweaty power vinyasa is they go like once or twice a week, right? That's kind of like the appropriate, appropriate is kind of a general, you know, like no hard and fast rules about this, but that's kind of like the rhythm most people fall into. I started doing it daily and then multiple times a day. And then I got very sick. (laughs) (laughs) So that would be an example of how that wouldn't necessarily be the, the most advantageous consistency to follow. Practicing daily is great, but practicing daily at this level of intensity um, really takes a toll on your body. So, um, you know, being aware of what kind of rhythm you want to fall into with these practices. So like you were talking about, like the every three year giant retreat, that itself could be its own kind of practice with consistency. Right. Um, Mm. But the more often you do something, the more of an effect it's going to have. So... If I only do that big thing once every three years, then yeah, at that point, it's going to, we're going to hit the high and then it's slowly going to taper off and then it's going to be next to nothing for the next, you know, two and a half years until we do the next one and it's going to jump up and then it's going to peter out for six months, et cetera. And I think that kind of thing can be a really good practice, but it is unlikely to vastly change the day to day when you go out of the workplace to experience something entirely different, mm-hmm. then you aren't changing much about how you work in the workplace yeah. consistently. Yeah. And so the, you know, with the kinds of practices, I think consistency really, um, both consistency, consistency, that's a hard word to say, God, and attention and intention all kind of work together to, um, you know, you kind of set them depending on what you want from the practice. Right. And so, you know, I was talking a little bit about the attention that it requires to do this uh, packing my lunch, right? And then I have to do it consistently to make any sort of effect. Um, I've been going through a whole bunch of different, like, health changes. And um, my, my yoga therapist actually sat me down yesterday and was like, you've done an amazing job shifting all these, you know, things really quickly. And, you know, you've built kind of these practices around what you're doing. So I've changed how I eat. I've been packing my lunch. I'm now vegan. Uh, and (laughs) which I'm a little, I'm really miss cheese. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I'm, I'm, I'm exercising a, a lot. Like I'm getting a lot more cardio, which I am like not a fan of cardio. Um, and what my teacher pointed out to me was that you, you, you've done all this stuff. You're giving a lot of attention to these things. You're doing them very consistently. And my teacher pointed out that you're missing the intention. Oh, interesting. And, and intention is really this, this so vital piece of what a practice is because it is essentially um, what guides you. So if your intention is to make, every, make people feel good once every three years, then that whole retreat situation is great, right? Right, um, okay. <laughs> so like it all depends on your intention. Um, but if your intention, like you guys are saying, to, is to shift a culture and shift the day-to-day work experience, then that's going to drastically change what it is that you're doing, like what it is that you're practicing, it's going to change the amount of attention that you bring to the practice. It's going to change how consistently you practice it. Um, and so for me, my teacher was like, you know, you're doing all this work to improve your health. Um, and, you know, like she asked me, like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you continuing to do this? And, you know, I've had like a strange health scare and I was like, well, I'm doing it so I don't die. 
right? Um, which is a little alarmist, but also is very true for me in the moment. Hey, I, I understand this <laughs> at a deep level. You you so, know yes. me, coach. You know. <laughs> you know. Um, basically, my intention is like, I don't want to die, right? And so that, that dictates not only how I'm doing the things that I'm doing. I'm doing them out of this kind of sense of fear and this sense of obligation. Um, and the thing about intention is that Yes, it affects how you do things, but it also affects what you get out of them. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, and so what my teacher was kind of like guiding me through is that I'm actually, you know, like, yes, I am doing all of these things so I don't have a heart attack and die at 35. Um, but there's another way I can frame this that that will actually, yes, meet the intention of like not dying, but also provide a lot more richness. And she was like, you need to set the intention of building this new like friendship with your body. Hmm. And, and even though it's only been a few days of like working with this intention, it has drastically changed um, like how I feel about what I'm doing which in the long run will make it more sustainable to sure. continue these practices. So this morning it was super, I mean, like I, I had trouble getting out the door and I was kind of running behind and then I was like, crap, I have to have uh, lunch and all this stuff. And then the, even just the small pause to remember like, you know, where lunch could seem like an obligation and just another thing to check off that feels really like a drag. The intention of creating this friendship with my body was like, wait, I, I want to do this. Like, I want to take the extra five minutes and like saute some broccoli and throw it in this Tupperware and put it in my lunchbox and go. Right. And so there was this new sense of, it's just enlivened the practice, like having this sure. kind of intention. And so when I talk about practices with other people, like I gave kind of the categories that we, we move through. So like conscious movement, breath work, meditation, some lifestyle changes, um, but that essentially like covers everything you could possibly do. Like <laughs> any activity can be considered a quote unquote practice if it has these three elements. Right. Yeah. And I think as we kind of pivot and move more toward a leadership kind of space, mm -hmm. I think what you're talking about with intention and, and framing the why mm -hmm. can be really powerful because how often have we been in communities or work situations where people someone is saying now we have to do this yeah and there's no <laughs> there's no clear <laughs> reason like oh great um yeah, another here's thing an arbitrary do. thing that i need you to do come in this weekend right and I all think, right <laughs> i think there is something powerful about stating the culture you're trying to create mm -hmm. as you integrate a practice and yeah. a leader who can do that it will make it clear the intention yeah. you know um, we've decided to have a stand-up meeting uh, every Monday for 10 minutes because people have been feeling disconnected and unsure of where other teams are in this process. And so as an effort to make a more connected culture, we're going to spend 10 minutes just giving a quick update and really cheer on the other parts of the process that yeah. have been kind of blind for us. So with that being said, let's Here's go through the practice. 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a lot different than Management has decided we have to have a 10-minute meeting at yeah. 9 a.m. every Monday, so I guess you have, can't be late on Monday, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a very different intention. Right. You know, I want to be there so I don't get fired. <laughs> yeah, right. Which you you should be there so you well, don't get fired. Yeah, but, but it's going to be a very different experience than yeah. I want to be there so that I can be connected to the people who are mm-hmm. working on the other parts of this project. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as like I don't want to die versus I want to have right you know, exactly this, like experience of being friendly to my body. And I think you know, especially when we're talking about. Um, kind of this cultural aspect in in businesses and corporations um, and in the work that we're doing uh, is like like you said clearly stating the intention also creates buy-in right so like practice in this context yes a leader has to practice but the thing's not gonna stick if everybody else isn't on board Right. Like, so it doesn't matter what a leader does if if they haven't inspired their, um, you know, their their workers or their teams or whatever, you know, their their quote unquote work family. uh, If they haven't inspired them to get on board, then the thing's not going to take and and really clearly stating the intention and having a really um, like inspired and motivating and, and powerful intention like I said, not only affects what you're going to do, it's going to affect how you do it and what you get out of it. Right. And I think the other thing that is coming out when we're talking about intentionality in terms of practice is that in the working world, we are often, as leaders, more reactive. Mm, so mm-hmm. we're going from crisis to crisis, and and there's a lot of leadership that requires that adaptability mm-hmm. and that ability to jump in and react to whatever is happening. Mm-hmm. But if that is the only thing that we're doing, then we don't have a practice. Yeah. We're, we're not intentionally doing anything mm-hmm. with forethought. And so the idea of having a practice of value versus like a one-time action of mm-hmm. value is that we know what we're trying to create and we know how we're trying to create it. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to do that with intentionality and consistency. And so I think that's really coming out in how you're talking about intention as well. Yeah. So there's a meme that you posted a while back, and it's a it's the uh, it's the one where someone you're handing some someone is handing someone else a sword. Ah, uh, yes. It's like the uh, the what what they want is dramatic escape instead of daily habits change. and changes. Yeah. Right. So yeah. That's the thing I keep thinking about as we're having this conversation because that's that's where culture change actually occurs, where mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm kicks into the clutch be, instead of these big dramatic movements yeah which you know they like, like we talked about they can be a kind of practice but the day-to-day you gotta have those daily mm-hmm. intentional practices yeah <laughs> well i think i mean i love the phrase like it's good as far as it goes you know like mm. there's nothing wrong with those kind of like big extravagant you know once in a while sort of things um they're good as far as they go. And the thing is they don't go very far. We've all had those experiences, you know, whether it's going to summer camp or having, you know, an employee appreciation dinner or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, yeah, that's great. And it feels good to be on the like receiving end of those things. But then, you know, if the day to day isn't changing, I don't care. (laughs) You know, if like I still hate going into work every single, you know, day after day after day, it's like, I don't care if you're giving me free pizza. I'd like a living wage, you know, like, (laughs) and actually I'd like this evening back, you know, like required employee, employee appreciation for unappreciated, frustrated employees is not 
yeah. actually a useful agreed <laughs> obligatory <laughs> mandatory appreciation i have you been there be appreciated <laughs> okay so with the time that we have left i want to talk to you about your leadership the hmm. culture that you are creating when you are coaching clients and when you are in a workshop and then what practice helps you create the culture yeah yeah um you know obviously you kind of gave me this question ahead of time so I could prepare um and in kind of thinking about what what kind of culture I want to create um in a one-on-one space it, it's very similar to what I also want to create in a workshop space right um it, which I don't think I had like realized or like put a finger on until like thinking through this stuff um and, and I want to create a space where people feel um, open to explore um, and open to explore themselves. Right. Which um, lots of people are open to explore. Not a lot of people are open to exploring <laughs> themselves. That is so true. Um, <laughs> See, previous <laughs> meme. Yeah, right? Like, uh, it's, I mean, and it's hard. And, and because I've been on the other end of it, I understand. Um, you know, I have a sense of like, what 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 helps people feel safe enough to share themselves in a deep and meaningful way um, and not only share themselves in that deep and meaningful way but then to to look upon themselves and the things that they're doing and the things that they're saying and feeling and all of this stuff with a sense of like scathing self-honesty it, it it really like there has to be a really strong container to hold that yeah, absolutely. Um, and so whether I'm in um, a, a workshop setting where I'm kind of like in charge of and managing this container for anywhere from 10 to 50 people or I'm leading a webinar or I'm um, working one-on-one with clients, um, there's there's this sense of um, we, we have the tendency to think that uh, if I want to hold the space really well, I need to be hyper focused on who I'm, um, who I'm with, right? right? Like the people in that container. I need to be, like, I need to be so hyper focused on them, right? Um, so that I can think and adjust and and shift things and and you know, so I can be like the the ping pong player playing ping pong against themselves, right? Like I'm gonna do everything that I need to do and keep the ball in play. The reality is, this is actually a practice that I learned in my uh, training uh, with the narrative Enneagram. I can't actually manage what anybody's thinking or feeling or saying to that, you know, even to that extent. Like, I, I'm, I'm not in charge of that. I can't control for that. Um, but it's Can my job. Fast forward on this epiphany. That would be really nice for me. Yeah, it's like <laughs> let's 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 get the ball rolling, okay? It's like mm, that language is inappropriate. Like, you know, like <laughs> you know, like I'm not a referee. Like that's not my job. I'm a facilitator, um, and I'm facilitating whether it's a workshop or uh, a one-on-one session or you know whatever it is. Uh, I'm facilitating a, a space where people can explore, and so in order for me to be a good facilitator. I can't have my attention 100% on other people because I can't manage other people. It's not my job to control them, to keep them in line or, you know, to keep the wheels turning, whatever. Um, You know, I have to watch out for time occasionally, but that's about it. You know, 
but the thing that really creates this this space where people feel safe and open to explore is is when I, as a facilitator, am aware of my reactions to what's happening. So, like, I'm holding the container, and if I'm not aware of what's coming up for me in the like moment to moment, then I am not going to hold that container well, because. I will get triggered and I will be reactive to what's happening in the container if I'm not paying attention. Um, so like one example, uh, I was working with a client and they started sharing this really like deep and personal story. And had I allowed myself to be hyper-focused on them, I would have like kind of run off just like my knee-jerk reactions to what was happening and then I would have wanted to make it better and I was going to help them and give them the tools to like totally change their life and all this stuff. And in that moment, I was able to like press pause on what's going on in my head, take a few breaths and regulate myself in the moment right? and see what was actually going on for me and by doing that and managing what I actually have control over, I was actually creating a safer space for them to share openly and honestly and just to just to get it out and vent, right. which, you know, by managing what was happening for me, I was able to listen to this person and really hear where they were coming from. And of course, in my line of work, I give tools and advice and, and all this stuff but I can't do that from an honest and real place unless I've really managed what's going on for me and I've really heard what the other person is saying. And so this practice that the, the narrative Enneagram talks about, we call it the 80-20 rule. And the 80-20 rule is that 80% of your attention is on yourself, how wow. you're feeling, how, like what, you're, like what are your thoughts? Like what cycle of thoughts are happening right now? What does your body feel like? What is your body doing? Are you like tapping right. your foot, waiting for this to like move on? Are you like, just, are you tense about what they're saying? You know, can you be aware of what's going on for you internally? And then give that other 20% of your attention to who's in front of you. And man, this is so fascinating to me because, um, I would never have thought the 80-20 rule would make sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I definitely have heard like you should be 100% and that other person like, and, and yeah. And then what I have seen is that because we are not robots mm -hmm. when we're trying to create space, whether it's for our partner or our child or mm -hmm. a person that's on our team or our coworker, we are still having reactions to yeah. the things that they're talking about. And so the quickness to steamroll what they're saying because mm -hmm. it resonates with you and now yeah. you're in your story or even just um, what is the volume of your voice in, yeah. in how you're reacting to this? What is the posture mm -hmm. of, of your body? Are you mimicking their posture or, or like could you change the feeling of the room by, by relaxing your yeah. body or yeah. by taking a breath? And if you don't have any attention Mm -hmm. to how you are presenting in yeah. an interaction, then you could be 100% trying to be yeah, about that person. Trying to is the key. <laughs> but, but bringing like unconsciously so much into it that, that yeah. it's actually derailing it. Yeah. It's so, so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And I think what's, you know, what's really important is that as leaders, 
people are looking to us, you know, whether I'm leading a one-on-one session or I'm leading a workshop or I'm having a conversation with, you know, the larger like organizations within the Enneagram community. Um, people are looking to leaders to set the tone. And, right. and yeah. if you are unaware of what you're bringing into the room, like if your awareness is not 80% on you, hmm. you're going to bring a lot of stuff into the room that is unintentional, that is unproductive, it's unhelpful, that can be even straight up harmful. And so by practicing the 80-20 rule, I've found that like I've become a better coach, I've become a better facilitator, um, and I've I've been able to live into my desire to create these like open, honest, and safe spaces for people to explore themselves and and find deeper meaning in their lives. Mm. Yeah. I've just sitting, been sitting here soaking this in. I'm like, wow, what kind of change would this have made in the interactions that I've had with people that I've led in the past? Mm-hmm. And what kind of change would that would it have been for people leading me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is, this is a big explosive idea that I think could change a whole lot inside of leadership. So as we bring this on in for a landing uh, for this particular episode, because all of us are going to be thinking about this for like the rest of the year. Um, <laughs> it's only February y'all. <laughs> Uh, could you, could you, uh, bring us into, uh, any ideas that you'd like for our audience to be thinking about as they move into the rest of their day? Mm. Uh, I, I love, you know, when we're talking about practice, we were just talking about some really solid, like self-awareness practices. Um, I think, I think if there's any idea that I'd like to get across that I think are valuable for leaders, um, whether you're leading, you know, a giant boardroom or a fortune 500 company, or you're just leading your kids to bed in the evening. Oh Um, my gosh. (laughs) How you need to be aware of yourself in that interaction. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It is. It's so intense. Um, but you know, we're talking about these, these, these practices because we feel that there's a gap between where we are and where we want to be. Right. Um, and it kind of like my favorite, like, um, you know, nugget of yogic wisdom, um, is called, uh, Kriya yoga. And it's, it's the yoga of steps essentially. And so there are three steps to making change in your life. And, and this applies anywhere. And the first step is, uh, self-awareness Svadhyaya in, in Sanskrit, but essentially you have to know what's going on you have to know your place in it and you have to know what you're doing. That's contributing to it. Um, and then there's tapas, which is practice or action, the purification. So like we have the practices that change it. Um, and then there's Ishvara Pranadina, which is this like long kind of drawn out thing that essentially means then you have to have faith in the process. Hmm. So w- whatever you're trying to shift or whatever you're trying to change, um, y- y- you can do all the practice you want. But if you're not aware, if you're not self-aware, if you're not studying yourself, um, then, then you're going to miss pieces. Um, and you can study yourself all you want and have all perfect practices, but if you don't surrender and trust the process, 
then you're going to miss out. Um, you're going to miss out on the real value and, um, the real kind of meat behind all of this. So I, li I like to hand that off to people. Like here's a, a kind of easy framework for what we need to kind of hold on to as we move through these changes. Man, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your perspective with us around practice and, and giving us a practice that we can yeah. implement. I'm, I'm excited to put it to work. Abby, folks want to get a hold of you after the podcast, which of course they will. Of course. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell, tell us the easy way to find you. Yes. Yeah, so you can go to consciousenneagram.com. And I realize that is not easy because it is hard to spell. Yeah. We'll um, put in the show notes. Though, yes. So. Yes. So C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M.com. Um, you can learn more about the Enneagram, the kind of work that I do there. You can also contact me if you're interested um, in either personal or corporate coaching. Um, and there's all sorts of great content on there if you just want to do a little self-exploration. Excellent. Uh, Abby, once again, thank you so much. And to you, our dear listener, you've been listening to the Kimberly and Coach Show, a podcast dedicated to giving you practices of value you can use today. If you'd like to connect more or book us for your next company event or conference, hit us up at KimberlyandCoach.com. Cheers. 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 And that's a wrap. We did it! Thank you so much. <laughs>